How's your soul? It is rhetorical, but I'm just letting it sit there. How's your soul? When you think about how your soul is, I want you to also think about when's the last time someone asked you that? See, we often think about how chaotic our schedules are. We think about how maybe our bodies hurt or how we're sick or work is hard or all these different things. But yet, often we don't think about the way in which our soul is affected by life's happenings, by sin, by the world, by the enemy's schemes. So I'll ask you again, how is your soul? This morning, as we look at Mark chapter 8, we're really going to be looking primarily at verses 36 and 37, but as any good studier of the Bible, you don't just pick apart with a scalpel the parts of a scripture that you want to. No, we'll look at the whole thing. And as we look at it, I want to drive home this one point. Your soul is vital in following Jesus. Your soul is vital in following Jesus. My soul is vital in following Jesus. This is one of those sermons where you stand in front of a mirror and you preach it to yourself. I think, honestly, the call for pastors is more upfront and transparent when it has to do with our soul, because we both, as pastors, are called to give an account for the souls of those whom we shepherd, and we're also given the command to keep watch over your life, over your soul, and your doctrine. This is an area where I am not perfect. This is an area in which I have to constantly be reminded of the need to care for my own soul and the need for me as a follower of Jesus to take inventory of how my soul is doing, to put right what is wrong through the act of repentance. And the same is true for all of us. Our souls are vital in following Jesus. This whole passage, this whole point of your soul being vital in following Jesus comes right after Peter has just confessed Christ as the Christ. Jesus is teaching and he asks his disciples, who do they say that I am? I give differing responses. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Jesus follows that up. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds in what would be this amazing response of like, drop the mic and walk away. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Woo, Peter, you did it. Finally, you said the right thing. Jesus affirms you're exactly right. But... Peter follows that up when Jesus starts to then say, as the Christ, as the Son of Man, I must die, I must suffer, I must be handed over by the chief priests and die. 
Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I've signed up for. You need to stop talking like this. Jesus sets him aside and rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. And then he begins to expound on what it looks like to follow Jesus with all of your life and with all of your soul. So your soul is vital in following Jesus. The first argument that Jesus puts forward is your life. This Greek word that is psuche. It's the same word that they translate to soul is here translated as life. We'll get into that a little bit more, and this will be the most Greek that you'll have heard from me in the entire year. He says, if you are to follow me, if you're to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is a distant reminder for us in 2023, but it is not distant to Jesus' followers, to his disciples, who every time entering into the city would have seen those who were the outcasts, those who were pushing the political agenda, those who were coming against Rome's authority, they would have seen what it meant to take up your cross. And Jesus is saying, my message, my kingdom is worth taking up your cross. For whoever would save his life will lose it. What has Peter just said to Jesus? Hey, man, you don't need to talk like this. You're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to do all those different things. You've come to set the kingdom right. Like it's here. It's now. It's going to, we're going to, we're going to overthrow the emperor. Guys, right? Right? He's trying to preserve his own life. And no, Jesus says the way that that will happen is actually the opposite. If you seek to save your own life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, right? It's not, it's not just a irresponsible, irrational losing of your life, giving it up. It's to give it up for Christ's sake, to be spent for the gospel to go out. You think of missionaries, you think of martyrs, you think of those who Paul in Romans says, blessed are the feet of those who carry good news. What honor is there? Later in the New Testament, it says of the martyrs that the world was not worthy of them. It's not in their giving of their life. It's in giving of their life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. He's saying, I'm worth it. I'm worth your life. I'm worth your physical comfort. I'm worth it because if you lose your life for my sake, because of the power of the gospel and what we see evidenced in the resurrection, I'll give it back. But it's not just in our physical lives that we're called to follow Christ, but we certainly are called to follow Christ in our physical lives, whether uh, come, to use the phrase, come hell or high water, come persecution or abandonment of friends, 
know that Jesus is near us and he's worth it. But he goes from talking about your life, your physical life, to then transitioning to talk about the internal, the things that are often unseen. Verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Remember, soul in verse 36 is the same Greek word in verse 35 that we see as life. Let's just do a super practical run-through of why we would use two different words for the same word. One, there's this whole thing about translating and that there is a variance of meaning to a specific Greek word when it carries over to the English. So there's one thing. But let's flesh it out. Let's think about if you are to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll give it back. You'll receive it back. So let's just put life in place of soul. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life. If you forfeit your life on earth, how are you going to gain the earth? I don't seem to have persuaded you. Let's keep going. For what can a man give in return for his life? Nothing. You've lost your life. Game over. Life is over. You cannot give anything back. Does that make sense? And that life is not, though it's the same Greek word, psuche, for both life and soul, there is this variance that makes it very clear that Mark is trying to get at something different. And Jesus is trying to get at something different. So, friends, we're not just to follow Jesus with our physical lives. We are also to follow him with our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, right? So whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Look at the scale that Jesus is using. Losing your life for the sake of the gospel is a win. As Paul would say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To lose our life for the sake of the gospel would bring great glory because at the end of the day, we've spent our very last breath proclaiming the goodness of God in Christ. But then on the inverse, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world? You all know by now that I am a huge sports fan. There was a college football coach who was fired at the end of their game last weekend, and he received a 76 point something million dollar buyout to not coach another game at this college. My brain doesn't process those that many zeros. It just doesn't. Uh, at this point, I've not been able to ascertain what that even means uh, when there are multiple uh, commas in that. 
Um, think about that in terms of the whole world. If one college football coach in one college football team received that amount of money, and yet our soul is more valuable than the entire world. So to ask the question, what is your soul worth? What is your soul worth? There's no amount that you could put on it. So what does that mean for us? If your soul and the cause to sustain your own soul, to protect it from being persuaded to follow after the things of the world, that's the inference, right? Peter, you're too worried about the things of this world. And you are in fear of losing your own soul. If you're like, wait a second, that seems a little harsh. Jesus actually talks with Peter later on in their relationship with one another. And he talks about how he prayed for Peter. How he prayed for Peter to be protected from the evil one. How he did all of these different things and how ultimately he was protected. Our soul is vital in following Jesus. For if we lose our soul for anything else, you can't get it back again. But we can take great hope that the one who pronounces your soul is of infinite worth. He's also the one who gave us that worth. He made us in His image to be His mirrors, His image bearers in the world that we would rightly ascribe to Him the glory that He ought to have. But when we lose our soul chasing after other things, or if we lose our soul proclaiming our own glory, we defame God of what He has made us for. So what do we do? Keep watch over our souls. You may be like, okay, tell me how to do it. The applications are coming, I promise. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Nothing. Let's drive it home for what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. Psalm 49, verses 6 through 8. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Friends, there's no price that you can pay. One of the passages that grips my heart every time I hear it is the Apostle Paul. When he laments the fact of his brothers, fellow Israelites who aren't following Christ. And he says, I would wish myself accursed on their behalf. Paul is doing this very thing. He's trying to ransom himself in exchange for his brothers. 
But the reality is that one man cannot ransom the soul of another. Unless, unless, however, you are the one perfect man. The one perfect man. The man Christ Jesus. The second person of the Trinity. Christ has come and purchased not only your life, not only your physical material, He's purchased your soul. One author describes that the soul is the immaterial part of the human experience. When I was doing my research, I didn't find that to be particularly helpful. The soul is everything that the body is not. The body, you can touch. The blood, you can feel. You can do all of these things. Material, you can see it. The soul is immaterial. You cannot see it. I think in captured in this soul is uh, these different emotions, your affections, your emotions, your choices, your volition, your uh, all of these different things that you can't see, you can't put a grasp on. I'm no psychologist, so I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, nor could I take you too deep in the weeds. But the reminder is to keep watch over your soul. If Jesus, as the one who is worthy of taking up your cross and following with your life and your soul, we must guard it with everything in us. Friends, there's great comfort that Christ has purchased our souls. And there's even greater comfort being reminded that he continues to guard our souls. He is the good shepherd. There's no one that can snatch us from his hand. That if you've trusted in Christ, your soul is secure. And we can sing that song together. It's well. It's well with my soul. Right? We are promised in the New Testament, Paul reminds us, that we will receive this immortal body. Right? This mortal flesh that will one day expire. And our souls, the immaterial reality of who we are, will go and be with the Lord like that if we've trusted in Christ. We will get uh, an immortal body. We'll get a new body, a better body, the best body we've ever had. Not even the body you wish, wish you had now. Even better than that. Why? Because He can do far greater than you can even think. Or imagine. But Jesus tells us that it's our souls. When he sends out his disciples and they cast out demons and they do all these different things, they're like, wow, you should have seen all the things that we did, man. Like, we cast, we, we healed this person, we cast out demons, we did, like, Jesus, let me just share, I just gotta share with you all the things that we did. And what does Jesus respond to them and say? Don't take comfort in those things. Take comfort that your soul has been guaranteed eternal life. Right? He also tells his disciples elsewhere that we're not to fear the ones who can destroy our physical bodies, but to fear the one who can throw our souls into eternal damnation. Who renders that judgment? God and God alone. Friends, keeping our soul 
is vital in following Jesus. If we're not mindful of how our soul is doing, if our soul does not find rest in God alone, we ought to be concerned. Are you anxious? That's a soul issue. Are you fearful? That is a soul issue. There are so many other emotions that can be connected to our soul. But the reminder is that our soul is vital in following Jesus. It's of infinite worth. For what can a man give in exchange? Absolutely nothing. Praise be to God. There was one. There was one who gave both his life and soul on the cross. He wasn't just a physical sacrifice. He was a sacrifice of everything in him. He was a sacrifice that the Father looked down and it was a pleasing aroma. That's why Jesus rose, because he was the sufficient substitute. He was the perfect lamb, the perfect man who paid our price. And now he bids us to watch our soul. So a couple ways to make your soul your priority, right? We've seen in the text, what what is more valuable, the whole world or your soul? It's your soul. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. There's this big word, maybe some of you know it, catechism or catechesis, trying to get your kids to memorize things or even get adults to memorize things. I've found that when I connect Uh, hand motions to words, there's just something in my brain that just is like, oh yeah, that's what it is. So if you have to choose the world or your soul, it's your soul. You see what I'm doing? The world or your soul, it's your soul. And what can you give in exchange? Nothing. Remind your kids that. Remind your grandkids that. Son, your soul is of infinite worth. Guard it. Daughter, your soul is of infinite worth. Guard it. (laughs) Look in the mirror and say, my soul is of infinite worth. Guard it. Because Jesus has not just uh, purchased our physical bodies. He has purchased all of us. The reminder is that it's not just life and soul. It's both. We don't have the ability to say, hmm, if I'm going to follow Jesus... Let's make this an either or. I will live a righteous life with my physical body. I won't have sex before marriage. I won't tie myself to a prostitute trying to use biblical language. I won't do these different, I won't cut myself. I won't do those different things. I'll do that. I'll give Jesus my physical body, but man, my soul is going to be wicked. Or maybe you say, I kind of want to do all those things. It's my body. It's my choice. So I'll just give him my soul. You see how those two things are totally in disagreement with each other? You cannot follow Jesus with your body and not your soul. 
And you cannot follow Jesus with your soul and not your body because you can't split yourself in half. We are made up of body and soul. God made us that way. So yes, follow Paul in Corinthians. Honor God with your bodies, but also honor Him with your soul, for it is infinitely valuable. Four ways to make your soul your priority. Four ways to make your soul your priority. With our physical bodies, I'm going to say this, and I don't care if anybody doesn't like it. With our physical bodies, we need to regularly be having checkups. Guys, ladies, your body, you get one of them. This isn't a video game. You don't get to cash in. You don't get to have a new life. You get one body. So just with our physical bodies, is it wise to go and uh, get doctor's checkups and things like that? For your soul, I encourage you to take a pulse on the state of your soul. How do you do that? Not the same thing. How do you take a pulse on your soul? A couple things to ask yourself. How are my thoughts affecting my allegiance to Christ? Can you see your thoughts? Maybe you'd say, in my mind I can see my thoughts. Your thoughts are immaterial. But your thoughts can affect your allegiance to Christ. How are your thoughts affecting your allegiance to Christ? Are they causing you to be drawn more in allegiance to Him or further away? Man, this teaching, it, it, it's really kind of enticing over here. I'm going I'm to kind of come over here. But I, I, know, I know the Bible's over here, but this teaching is just over here. It's okay. How are your thoughts affecting your allegiance to Christ? That could be even thoughts of yourself. Man, I'm awful. I'm a horrible person. I can't do anything right. I can't remember the rhyme my mom used to tell me about my personality as a little kid, but it was like, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat some worms. You're welcome. Was that an encouragement? Oh, I thought you said nobody feels that way about you. I was like, anywho, those thoughts are not true. They're not right. They're not good. And they can cause you to misplace who you are in Christ. Whether you've trusted in Christ or not, you are an image bearer of the God of the universe who's made you distinctly, who's made you with honor, who's made you with value and dignity. How are your thoughts affecting your allegiance to Christ? That's one way to take pulse on the state of your soul. How are your emotions? Thoughts and emotions can so easily connect, right? Man, I just feel really down. And here are my thoughts connected with my emotions. Maybe there are genuinely things that you need to take before a professional counselor. Maybe there are things that you need to talk with another person about. Maybe there are things that you need to talk with a pastor about. 
How are your emotions affecting your allegiance to Christ? Also, how are your choices? I haven't read his book, so I don't feel like I should cite him because he might get mad at me. And now I'm forgetting the name of the title, so he's really going to get mad at me. The Dynamic Heart by Jeremy Pierre. I took his class. It was like take it, it was like reading this book. In this book, The Dynamic Heart, he talks about how the heart, or how I'm going to put it this way, how the soul, how the internal components of our soul has these things. It has volition. It chooses, right? So in our soul, in our immaterial, we make choices. Every single day, moment by moment, we make choices. But if we've been shown that everything is about being a follower of Christ, a faithful disciple of Christ, who should, with their physical life, be worthy or be willing to take the cross, likewise, our soul. That when we come to the crossroads of our soul, when the choices that are on the table, we must always weigh them How will this affect my allegiance to Christ? Friends, this is different if you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you make up your own rules. And it comes with gigantic, catastrophic consequences. But if you are a Christian, you don't have a choice. Now you may say, yeah, I do. You do have a choice. But if our heart delights in God, that we've truly seen Jesus to be everything that he says he is, and we've had a transformation of heart because of this good news in the gospel, our choice is always him. But it's not always him. Even as Christians, we recognize That in our heart of hearts, in our soul, in our inner person, we so often choose our own way. So we must take a pulse on the state of our own soul, checking how is this going. Many of you are familiar with cars. Do this routine checkup or you will have a breakdown of your soul. Secondly, Not only take pulse on the state of your soul. Secondly, be honest about the state of your soul. Right? First, you got to check on it. And then secondly, you got to be honest with where you are. Being honest with the state of your soul doesn't have to come as a, Hi, I'm Sean, and I'm, right? It doesn't have to be that. But being honest about the state of your soul comes before the Lord, who we've acknowledged in Sunday school and other times. He sees it all. Just because it's immaterial to us doesn't mean that it's getting by Him. He sees your thoughts. Think about how many times in the Gospels the Pharisees and the chief priests and the religious leaders are trying to pull a fast one over Jesus, and He says, you've thought about this in your heart. Yikes. Friends, we can be honest about the state of our soul because Jesus already knows. Jesus already knows, and He loves us. 
That if you're coming to Jesus as a Christian, you come already washed in the blood. You just come and say, I'm sorry. This is affecting my relationship with you and I need to repent of it. Cleanse me of this. Right? He loves you. And if you've yet to trust in Christ, the same thing is true of you. You must be honest about the state of your soul, but for the very first time. Be honest about the state of your soul. Take pulse on the state of your soul. Be honest about the state of your soul. Three. As we're doing these checkups, as we're being honest about the state of our soul, maybe we don't see what we want to see. Maybe we see everything that we don't want to see. Maybe we, like Paul, say the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do are the things that I find myself continuing to do. After being honest about the state of your soul, thirdly, speak scriptural truths to yourself. In Psalm chapter 42, David looks at, we get this like internal dialogue between David and his soul. And it's such an amazing aspect of scripture that we need to be reminded of regularly that he speaks to his soul. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Right? There's one voice. Where is your God? Ha ha, David, you fool. Where is your God? What would your soul be tempted to do in that moment? Your thoughts, your emotions. Where is God? Am I all alone? Has he left me? My tears are my food. God, I need you. But he doesn't stop there. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What is David doing? He's talking to his soul. He goes on again, and in verse 11, he repeats it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But he doesn't stop there. For he says, hope in God. He says it also in verse 5. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We must recite to us the truths of God in Scripture. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Speak scriptural truths to yourselves. I think of things like Ephesians chapter 1, that it talks about all of these different things. You've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been loved, you've, been, you've received an inheritance. I think of other things that you think of in Proverbs, of how... Uh, daughters and sons are this great offspring, right? Reminding yourself, these things are true of me because the Bible says so. I'm made in the image of God. 
I've been given both body and soul to bring glory to him, and he's worth it. Friends, when our soul, when our thoughts, our emotions, and our choices cause our allegiance to sway, ground yourselves in the scriptural truths and speak them over yourself. May your scripture, may the scripture speak a louder word in your life. For it is a louder word. Let it be that. Fourthly and finally, Take a pulse on the state of your soul. Be honest about the state of your soul. Speak scriptural truths to yourself. Fourthly and finally, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Psalm chapter 62, verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. That He has you secure. Take great confidence in that. But if you feel troubled, if you sit there and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about all that. I hear what you're saying, but I just don't feel that rest. I don't feel that security that you're talking about. Friends, you can't rest in Christ until you've trusted in Christ. Right? We rest because we have a relationship with Him. We can proverbially, like Jesus, sits as his work is finished, we can sit in a right relationship with Christ, not because of our merit, but because of his. So we can rest. That's the whole reason why it's well, because of him. But friend, if you've not trusted in Christ and your soul seems anxious, your soul seems troubled, there's a reason. Because it is. And your soul will never find rest until it rests in Christ. So friends, this final reminder in Mark chapter 8, we've seen that as a disciple of Christ, you are to follow Him with your life. You are to follow Him with your soul. And lastly, we're given this reminder that for the one who is... Ashamed, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
Because he's talking about those who do not trust in Christ. So the reminder is to trust in Christ with your life, with your soul. He is worthy of your allegiance. Friends, your soul is vital in following Jesus.